Okay, so we begin tonight the thirteenth and the uh, the final principle of the uh, the thirteen principles. Um, what I'm thinking right now is, is that we'll uh, we have this week, and then we'll do uh, next week uh, after Tisha B'av just to finish off the uh, the series, and then maybe we'll take uh, a couple of weeks off uh, so I can get ready in terms of see how much uh, I can put together in terms of the uh, the next series, which I would like to do. Um, my thinking right now is to sort of map out the uh, the sitter, you know, to be able to uh, to follow, sort of like have a a ways or a Google Maps of the of the sitter to be able to follow, uh, you know, what the sights and sounds are that we're going to see along the way as we make our way through uh, through davening. But I have to just make sure that I could get uh, enough material as far as uh, as far as that. But so our task uh, tonight and next week, though, is to uh, is resurrection. <laughs> Hopefully, we should. <laughs> uh, maybe we shouldn't really need it, but uh, maybe we can bring the world, as we will discuss. Maybe we'll bring the world to that state of uh, of resurrection, which would be a uh, an important step as far as Geula. So, uh, for this principle, I'm actually going to read to you inside what the Rambam writes, uh, how he explains the principle of resurrection. Uh, and you'll see why it's important of all the principles which uh, which we study, why it's important to read the Rambam's writing, uh, the way he explains this particular principle, because that's going to be our first uh, topic to discuss. So the Rambam writes about how you sowed hashoshasar. So the 13th principle, is resurrection, and his comment is, ukvar bi'arnua, and we already explained it. And that's it. That is the totality of what the Rambam has to say about, yeah, class over, <laughs> recess time. So uh, clearly, uh, for the Rambam's uh, uh, writing and whatnot, so this is the tersest, if there's such a word, the most terse of all of the uh, the principles. And he tells us that he's already explained it. And what he means by that is, is he explained it in his introduction to the 13 principles. So if you remember way back when we started the uh, the series, this uh, appears in the context of the Rambam's commentary to the Mishnayis. In, in the, his commentary to the Mishnayis, good evening, Mel. In his commentary to the, uh, to the Mishnayis, what the, there's a Mishnah in Sanhedrin, which talks about that every Jew has a portion of the world to come. And the Rambam comes along and says, well, when we mean everyone, we don't really mean everybody. We mean that there's a number of exceptions to that, uh, to that rule. And he uh, explains that belief in these 13 principles is essential. So over the course of that introduction, he already explained this topic of, of Tchias HaMesim. So therefore, the Rambam, in, in this initial uh, review, so he felt he didn't need to go ahead and explain it again because he already did his job explaining it in the introduction to the 13 principles. But if somebody, if anybody knows a little bit of history about the uh, the Rambam and uh, what he experienced, so he actually, during his lifetime, he was actually accused of perhaps not believing in the principle of resurrection. Being that he didn't explain it at all, he didn't uh, spend time elaborating on the, uh, the principle. So there were those who accused him of not actually believing in resurrection. And as a result of these false accusations against the uh, the Rambam, so he felt compelled to write another work, another kuntras of sorts, another pamphlet called Maimer Triasamesin, which just translates as a thesis on resurrection. And in that in that work, he goes ahead and he elaborates on the uh, on the uh, on the topic a little bit more. 
And he says in clear terms over there that anybody who does not believe in the principle of who does not believe in the principle of resurrection, so such a person cannot be associated with, uh, with Judaism. And he says that, he explains over there that this is a tradition which traces itself back to Moshe Rabbeinu. And the idea, although the Torah never mentions explicitly uh, anything uh, about resurrection, you won't find uh, that, uh, that concept addressed explicitly anywhere in, in Chumash, <clears throat> there are a number of times where Chazal find hints to this idea in various sukkim and whatnot. So a very famous one, which the Gemara mentions, is, and it's, uh, it's, it's relevant just because we say it on a daily basis, and that is the beginning of Az Yashir. Az Yashir is something that we say is part of davening each and every day. And what Chazal take note of is the fact that the word Yashir is in future tense. Az means then, that's past tense. So it should really be Az Shar, Moshe Then they sang, past tense, this song. But rather it says, us, then Yashir, they will sing. So that is in a, a, a curious uh, future tense, change in tense. And the Gemara says that what, it, the, what the, uh, the Pasuk is hinting to is the fact that not only did Klai Yisrael sing by Kriyas Yamsuf, but there's going to be a point in the future where they're going to sing again. There'll be another song which Klai Yisrael is going to sing. And that is going to be at the time of resurrection, in the time of, in the era of Olam Haba. So that's one hint that the Gemara finds in a Pasuk about this idea of, of Tchias HaMesim. <clears throat> now, um, so then there's another Pasuk, which, uh, which Chazal point to, which also goes ahead and hints to this, uh, th- th- this idea of resurrection. And not only does, is it a hint to the idea, but it tells us a little bit more in terms of what is going to be the, uh, the process, what, uh, <clears throat> what's going to occur in that era of resurrection. <clears throat> so the Pasuk says towards the end of uh, Sefer Dvarim, it says, Ani amis I kill and I bring to life, uh, and I wound and I heal. So all of these are statements of Hashem. Hashem brings death and then life. He wounds and then he heal. He heals. So in the Gemara, Rava asks. He says, "Listen, if God is capable of bringing life after a person is uh, is dead, so then there's no doubt that He could go ahead and He could heal somebody who's wounded. Uh, healing somebody who's wounded is small potatoes compared to actually bringing back to life somebody who's uh, who's actually dead." So what's going to be gained by saying that once we already established in the first phrase, the first clause, that Hashem is going to take life and he's going to restore life. So why do you have to say that he's going to be able to heal those who are are wounded? So the Gemara says, the Gemara's conclusion from this is, is that God is going to restore life the same way he's going to be able to, the same way that he heals those who are wounded. In other words, that what the uh, what the, the pasuk is really talking about is uh, right. So the pasuk is really talking about how Akash Baruch Hu brings life into existence in the first place, but rather it is a reference to the idea of resurrection. In other words, Hashem says, first of all, I'm going to restore life to those who are already alive at some point. So somebody was alive, they died. Hashem says, I'm going to go ahead and restore. Life, uh, life to that. 
And then when he goes ahead and says that machatzi vani erape that I uh, I have uh, I uh, wounded, and then I could go ahead and I could heal those wounds. What it's referring to is what's going to happen after the initial stage of resurrection. In other words, that the initial stage of resurrection is that a person, whatever, um, uh, it's not such a popular word anymore, whatever handicaps and weaknesses that a person had during their lifetime, at the time of resurrection, they're going to be resurrected with those same circumstances. So they're initially going to be resurrected back into the same circumstance uh, that they had, uh, the same physical condition that they had during their lifetime. And then once people are brought uh, back to life with whatever, as we said, ever weaknesses and deformities and handicaps that a person had. And then at some later time, Akash Baruch Hu is going to uh, heal all of those uh, physical conditions. And he's going to bring the body into a state, I don't know if we would say a state of perfection uh, when we're talking about God, but a, 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 a feeling of the body being in its ideal form. And that's going to be healing, which is going to take place later on. So two different stages which are, that are going to occur. The first one is going to be the initial resurrection, of, which is the restoration of life. And then Akash Baruch is going to heal all of those people who are alive so that their bodies should be in tip-top physical uh, condition, like you see in all those infomercials. Just drink this, uh, this shake and you'll, uh, you'll feel like you, were, uh, you felt when you were 18 years old. So Akash Baruch is actually going, to, uh, actually going to follow through on that. Now, in terms of the resurrection timeline, of what the that 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 next era is going to look like, so this is the fact that there is going to be resurrection. That's really the last point that everybody agrees to. That's the last point which is universally accepted by all of the uh, by all of the, uh, the the commentators. But um, uh, at that point, there's going to be a departure. There is a departure between different commentators as far as what's going to happen after that. So the Rambam says that those who are resurrected, those who are going to be brought back to life, so they are going to live physical lives. That's going to be part of the era itself. And resurrected people are going to eat, they're going to drink, they'll get married, they'll have kids. All life is going to resume normal, uh, normal conditions of life. But the Rambam says that some point afterwards, after resurrection, everybody's going to die again. So people are going to experience a second death. And then after that second death, that's when people are going to enter into the follow-up era, which is Olam Haba. Yes, Alan. So when you're resurrected, you're resurrected at some, possibly some prior point in your life? Not, um, the per- yes. not, not as you were when you died? Um, right. So I, I assume, uh, uh, yes, my, my, my head was spinning as I was saying those words. Thank you for <laughs> taking note of that. Maybe that's where, I, where my hair went. But we say that, uh, that uh, what, what uh, I, I don't know at what prior point. Obviously, uh, when a person uh, passed away, they passed away because the body couldn't sustain itself anymore. So to be resurrected back to that last moment before death, that's not going to be very beneficial because then you'll just go ahead and die again. So that it can't, it can't be that that's what's going on. It sounds like it's going to be whatever permanent ailment or handicap that a person had throughout their lifetime, so that will remain with them even at the point of resurrection. And it's those things which are going to get, uh, get healed. But obviously, whatever the cause of death is, that has to be reversed. Otherwise... And the age. 
there there has to be some if if you're going to be able to sustain and then die again if you're 95 when you're resurrected even if you you know aren't dying then you're it's going to be a very short relatively short uh, span right yeah so that's why I'm assuming that you're going back to some teenage uh, teenage year uh, or maybe uh, in the 20s. Bar, 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 mitzvah, bar mitzvah present. <laughs> yeah, bar mitzvah. I'm assuming that will be uh, will restored where the prefrontal cortex is fully developed. So that's going to be in the mid-20s or the 30s or something like that. I assume it's not going to take us to some infant uh, stage. And not our old age, where we are, by virtue of our age, we are we are weak. So that's why it's somewhere in the middle over there. But I don't know exactly where, where that is. Um, yeah, I wish I did. Um, but so, then, Rabbi, yeah. I'm sorry, could, excuse me. Could you comment on this point on, uh, on cremation, people who do choose to have cremation? Um, so I'm going, that, that is part of this, uh, the, the, this discussion. Okay, thank you. Um, I don't know if, depending on how it goes, uh, how quickly we go, we may get to it tonight or we may not. But that is part of the uh, that is uh, mentioned in this uh, in the course of this principle. Okay. Um, so now, uh, so yeah, so uh, then the Rambam is of the opinion that sometime after resurrection and the body is uh, is healed from all of its ailments, then people are going to die a second time, and then that's when the era of Olam Haba is going to kick in. So the Rambam sees this, uh, the end of times, in, in two different eras. There's the era of Tchiyas HaMesim, the era of resurrection. And then following a subsequent death, there's going to be another era, which is Olam Haba. And Olam Haba, that's where, we, uh, that's the final stage, where we're going to enjoy internal spiritual bliss together with God. That's what we imagine. That's what, uh, you know, where, where you'd find the 70 virgins and all that. That's where all of that is going to take place, I think. Not really. But that's where all of that is going to take place. And that's going to be that uh, e- eternal bliss. Yes, Alice. So when, when somebody dies, it's not, there's not a direct route at that point? Tell them about? Right. So it seems to be that the de- uh, So, uh, right. <coughs> there's an afterlife. Right? I mean, the soul is still alive at that point. But that's the person is not yet immediately following death. The person is not yet in the stage where they are reaping the reward for all the mitzvahs which they did. That era where we're rewarded for the mitzvahs which we did, which is Olam Haba. So that is going to take place at that later stage. First, what has to happen is, and we're, we're going to talk about that. But first, what's to ha- what's to, what has to happen is, is that if you remember from Yuma, that there are some sins which are so severe that uh, tshuva and Yom Kippur and even suffering are not going to suffice, but a person has to die as well. So it's not just that the person has to experience the moment of death, but the person has to experience what happens after death, which is the decomposition of the body, which we're going to, uh, to get to. So that's part of the process. So that is a cleansing part of the process that physical people have to go through in order to atone or in order to cleanse the, uh, the neshama or the body perhaps from all the sins which were, which were committed. And until that is fully cleansed, so a person is not yet uh, capable of being able to enjoy that eternal reward. So there's afterlife, but afterlife isn't and afterlife isn't that's a different, a, a different stage. So, okay, so it's really three stages post-death. Um, Okay, and therefore, um, 
Now, and the reason why the Rambam suggests that there's going to be these two distinct stages, one of resurrection in one of Olam Haba, is because we have a contradiction between different passages in the, in the Gemara. Because there's a passage in the Gemara which says that in the world to come, meaning in Olam Haba, there's going to be no eating, drinking, or physical pleasure. So now, this is going to be problematic because uh, there's a, an axiomatic principle, which is that God doesn't create something without purpose. There's no reason that God is going to extend himself or is going to, is going to invest the time and the effort in the resources to create something without a purpose. So in the event that we're actually now, that the following resurrection or in Olam Haba, there's going to be no eating, drinking, or physical pleasure, then what's the point of doing resurrection? If it's all going to about, be about this spiritual bliss of the neshama, so then why would the HaKadosh Baruch Hu have to go through the process of resurrecting the body just for it to not be able to get any physical pleasure whatsoever? Why is the physical body going to uh, go ahead and, and exist? So, uh, so that's why uh, the Rambam says that in order to reconcile all of this, so the easiest way to reconcile all of this, at least from the Rambam's perspective, is to, to assert that there's going to be two different eras. One will be the era of Tchiasamesim, that's when the body is going to be restored. And during that period, during that era of Tchiasamesim, there's eating and drinking and procreation and family life and all of that and all that stuff as we know as we know it to be. That's why the Rambam also says that Ein ben Olam Hazel or the only difference which we're going to experience, or be Mosa Mashiach in the time of, of Mashiach, is going to be Shibud Malchios Bilvad. So there's going to be this era in which there's, uh, there's Mashiach, there's, this is even part of the, the equation, but there's going to be all these different stages of, of future eras which are coming our way. But in order to reconcile the fact that there's going to be a resurrection, which means the body is restored, there has to be some function in that, and yet Chazal also say, no eating, no drinking, no physical pleasure. So it must be, concludes the Rabbam, that there's two different eras. There's the Trias Hamesim era, and then there's going to be Olam Haba era, and they are not at all the uh, they are not at all the same. So the first era, that of Trias Hamesim, so that's going to be where the body and the soul are reunited once again, the original body which you had as well as your soul, and then uh, subsequent to that, as you mentioned, the body will die once again. Once the body dies that second time, so that is a permanent death, and the body is not going to be resurrected at that point. And then the, nesh- the neshama by itself, the soul by itself, is going to enter that final phase of Olam Haba, the world to come, where it will remain for eternity, however long that is. But that will remain in, in eternity, enjoying the spiritual bliss and uh, enjoying the reward which was accumulated for having done all those mitzvahs. Esan, you're still not happy. No, and I'm, I'm, we're, we've talked often about the, uh, the recycling of the neshamas so, okay, so now you've got 10 people who've had this same neshama. Resurrection comes, everybody's up. Where's the neshama go? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it came up last night in my TI class. And I told them last night in my TI class, I said, you guys, you know what? It's amazing because tomorrow night I'm giving my, uh, the final uh, beginning, the final principle of the 13 principles, which revolves around, which is resurrection. And I'll get back to you Wednesday because I'll know for sure by then because we're going to go ahead and review it. And I'm going to have to go back to them Wednesday now, tomorrow, and tell them, I actually, we had the class and I still don't know. (laughs) So, um, yeah. 
this may be, uh, I, I'm going to uh, resort to what the Rambam told us back in the previous principle about Mashiach, that we don't, won't actually know what happens until it happens. So we can't spend too much time speculating about that. But the, yes, the, the, we, we had a disagreement in class exactly how Gilgals work. And at the time of resurrection, what exactly does that mean? Is the soul going to be divided into multiple parts? And each part of the soul will go to different bodies which have that part of the soul? Or somehow you're going to have this... Um, um, uh, I apologize for the crude example, but it'll be like a Mr. Potato Head type of thing. We take a nose from here and ears from there and a mouth from there and arms from a different one. And you just sort of clump it all together into this figure, which is going to have all of the best of the different limbs, which the soul accumulated over its many lifetimes. So I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen such a thing and I don't know exactly what will, what, what will happen. Okay, now, as we said, so the Rambam's position on this is not something which is, uh, which is uh, uh, universally held. The Ramban, Nachmanides, for example, so he strongly disagrees with the Rambam, and he maintains that the era of Tchiyas HaMesim and Olam Haba are one and the same. There's really no difference between them. It's, it's really one era. Ah, what about the contradiction with the fact that there's going to be Tchiyas HaMesim, which means we have a body, and yet the Gemara says that there's going to be no eating and no drinking and no physical pleasure. So the Ramban suggests that when the body is going to be resurrected, it will be resurrected in a refined way, uh, and there'll be no need for um, uh, physical pleasure. That's not something which you're going to pursue, and whatever is, and uh, the, therefore, there's a, the, uh, the body will be sort of... Uh, um, um, self-perpetuating, self-repairing, self-perpetuating, perpetual motion machine. So it's going to be able to exist solely on, sorry for the pun, but solely on the presence of the neshama. The neshama is going to fuel it, is going to animate it, is going to give it, is going to give it life. And we won't be tied to having to fuel it from physical types of, types of things. So that's why the body, the body and the soul, as we're going to talk about, the body and the soul ultimately have to come together, have to merge together, but there's not going to be a need for, the body isn't going to have the same needs and urges as we are familiar with in our present era uh, in the world to come. Because at that point, the body is going to be so refined and so elevated that it's not even going to need to be fueled in that, uh, in that same way. And both body and soul are actually going to live eternally so here's a major departure between the Rambam and the Ramban. According to the Rambam, eventually the body will die not to be restored and will end up for the rest of eternity just a soul, just a neshama. According to the Ramban, it's going to be body and soul together. And the body and soul are together are going to live in that ideal state, as we're going to, as we're going to mention, that when Adam and Chava, before they sinned, so the design was for them to also live together. Death was a consequence of their sin, but it wasn't part of the original design. So this era of Olam Haba, according to the Ramban, is a restoration of the world, of the universe, pre the Chet of Adam Arisham. And that's where we're going to go back to that point where sin is not going to be, is no longer going to be present. And once there's no such thing as sin, or that has been completely uh, uh, repaired, so then we go back to that ideal state where one would theoretically be able to, uh, to live forever. So that is the way the Ramban goes ahead and sees things. Rav Sadia Gon, 
another one of this is that he proceeds the uh, the Rambam and the uh, the Ramban. So he says that he maintains that there's not going to be one resurrection. There's actually going to be two resurrections. So there, it's not necessarily a second coming, but there'll be a second resurrection. What does that mean? So the first one is going to take place at the time of Mashiach. And so Mashiach arrives, and at that time there's going to be a resurrection, but that's not going to be universal resurrection. That first resurrection is only going to be for the tzaddikim and the tzidkaniyos, those who live particularly righteous lives, so they are going to be resurrected at that time. And then at some later point in that era, it's not clear exactly when that's going to be, but at some later point, there's going to be a second resurrection. That's when the rest of us are going to go online. That's when the rest of us are going to come online. And it's at that second resurrection that there's going to be, we're going to usher in the era of Olam Haba. That's when that is going to kick in. Now, those who made the first cut, those who experienced the first resurrection, they don't need to die again only to be resurrected a second time. They'll skip that, uh, that death. They'll skip that part, and they just get teleported, like in Star Trek. They'll just get teleported into Olam Haba, and everybody else is going to be, uh, the, the rest of the people will be resurrected at that time and uh, into, uh, also into, the, into that state. Now, um, uh, in Rav Sadiagon also holds like the Ramban that in this uh, this final era of Olam Haba, it's going to be body and soul together. Not like the Rambam who said it's going to be just the neshama, just the soul. Rav Sadiagon agrees with the Ramban it's going to be body and soul together. Okay. Now, with, yes. Yes, Mel. Can't hear you. You're, you're muted. What happens to the Hasatan? There's not going to be any challenges to our uh, to what we do. Uh, so the Satan, the, the Gemara and Sukkah tells us so it's coming up in the Dafyomi, the end of the Masechta. But uh, the uh, the Gemara tells us that the Satan is going to be shechted in one of these future eras. So don't tell me if it's going to be Mashiach, it's going to be Tchesamesim, it's going to be Olam Haba. But there's going to be a point at which it seems to be that it's going to be whatever era it's going to be. There's going to be physical bodies which are there. But Satan will be uh, uh, his services will no longer be needed, and God's going to downsize his uh, myriads of uh, of angels, and Satan is going to find himself unemployed, not even unemployed, uh, disposable, <laughs> literally disposable. Um, Okay, so now Rav Yaakov Weinberg goes ahead and he's troubled by this principle. What difficulty does he have with this principle? The difficulty Rav Yaakov Weinberg has with this principle is why does the Rambam, he's, he, he wonders why the Rambam goes ahead and uh, characterizes this 13th principle as Tchiasamesim, resurrection. Really, if we were going, if we were in that smoke filled room, as we were part of the committee formulating these essential principles of belief, really what this principle should all be about is Olam Haba. The 13th principle should be a belief in Olam Haba. Now, Olam Haba will contain elements of resurrection that will be part of that era, but ultimately what it is, is the fact that in Olam Haba, that's where reward for mitzvahs are going to be, are going to be distributed. That's where we're going to be able to experience that. And it's with that in mind, as we've mentioned in a number of the principles along the way, that that concept 
that we know that there's going to be reward for the righteous in the world to come. And we know that at some point, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to punish the wicked for all of the bad things which they did. So that belief in Olam Haba, that belief in, that, uh, in the world to come, that's what allows us to endure all sorts of challenges and difficulties, both in our individual lives as well in our national lives. It's Olam Haba focus. We're saying what we're seeing now is not real truth. What we're seeing now is not the end of the game. This is not where things are where, where things are over. This is not the end of the story. There's going to be many more chapters which are coming. And by the end of the book, everything is going to, like any good uh, book, by the end, everything is going to fall into place. Everything is going to make sense. All those things which seem to be uh, inconceivable to us and the details which seem to be completely extraneous and unnecessary, suddenly we'll be able to reflect back and see how all of that made sense. So if Weinberg asks, really... What this principle should be called is belief in Olam Haba. We shouldn't really say that it's belief in resurrection. Resurrection is just one of the parts of that era, but that doesn't seem to be the main part of the era. The main part of it seems to be, the main focus would seem to be Olam Haba, would seem to be the world to come. So why is it that uh, that uh, the, uh, the Rambam went ahead and he characterizes, he framed this in terms of resurrection rather than framing it in terms of Trias HaMesim? And he says that whether you hold like the Rambam, the Ramban, or of Sajigon, it doesn't really make a, a difference. Everybody agrees that there's going to be some initial stage of resurrection, whether one resurrection or two resurrections, and when it's going to take place. All of that just means that we've now entered into this final era of the world called Olam Haba. And therefore, it's a, it's a curious thing that the Rambam didn't describe or didn't name this principle, the principle of Olam Haba, he went ahead and named it as resurrection. Okay, so Rav Weinberg says, and as we're going to see, he bases this really on a medrash, but he says what the Rambam is trying to teach us over here is besides the fact that there's going to be, the, there's the importance of belief in an era called Olam Haba, which is where everything is reset, everything is restored, everything is going to be put back into the, its, uh, its correct uh, place and justice will be, uh, will be served you know, throughout the world and all of that. But the Rambam is teaching us about the importance of the body and its relationship to the soul. That there's a, a, a as we're going to see, a symbiotic relationship between goof and neshama, between the body and the soul. And uh, it, it's, it's a, a essential to emphasize that symbiotic relationship. Because many times we perceive the body as a necessary evil or a, a prison that the neshama may be in. Our neshamas want nothing more than to soar into the heavens and to be able to connect with God and to be able to go back to their source and to be able to remain these, uh, these uh, uh, incredibly concentrated spiritual entities which they are. That's the essence of the soul, the soul taken from Tachas Kisei Akavo, taken from beneath Hashem's throne. Clearly, that's something which is meant to soar into the heavens. The only reason the soul does not do so is because it's stuck in the physical body. And as a result of that, it, in many ways, it's sort of dragged through the mud. Because the person wants to go ahead and do this Avera. Okay, this, the Neshama has no choice but to, to come along. And then the person wants to go ahead and have this Avera. And the Neshama gets uh, you know, knocked into the mud again. And time and time again, as we talk about on, uh, on Yom Kippur, 
we like we had in your uh, in uh, in Dafyomi, and as we get uh, you know closer to the Yom Noraim, so we're reminded of the fact that every time we sin, it's another, it's more schmutz which is thrown onto the neshama. The neshama doesn't actually get dirty, but it gets schmutzik on the outside, uh, externally, and that's something which certainly the neshama has no interest in being a part of. So we think of the, the tension between body and soul, and that the soul, the neshama, in some way is confined or imprisoned inside of the, uh, inside of the body. And if one adopts that perspective, that the neshama is... Uh, imprisoned inside of the body. So then if you tell me that there's going to be resurrection and your body's going to be restored, they'll say, don't do many favors. <laughs> I wasn't very happy with the body in the first place. It didn't serve me very well. It uh, you know, led me astray on many occasions doing the many things which I, which I shouldn't have done. If you want to bring me into a good place, let's get rid of the body. Let's just be free of the, uh, the body and the bodily urges and all of that stuff. And let's just move on to the ikr, which is going to be the spiritual component, the spiritual part of our existence, which is contained in the, in the neshama itself. Why would I want the reunion of my neshama and my body? It's going to be triggering. I'm going to have post-traumatic uh, stress disorder or uh, whatever is going to be. It's, uh, there, there's no way that we should go ahead and, and do so. So this principle, however, um, uh, is... The, uh, is emphasized the fact that that perspective is not true. That one should not look at the neshama as being something which is spiritual and good, and the body being something which is physical and therefore by definition bad. Mankind, by, by divine design, mankind is a fusion of the physical and the spiritual together, and both need to exist simultaneously. And um, the, uh, this principle is, uh, emphasizes for us this idea that not only is the soul something which is valuable because of its spiritual content, but the physical body is also so valuable that it warrants resurrection, that it warrants Hashem coming along and performing this dramatic uh, miracle on behalf of all of mankind in order to bring the body back so that the body and the soul can be together, and maybe not according to the Rambam, but at least according to the Ramban in Rav Sajigon, the body and the soul are then going to live on forever. So what's the idea? What's the, the symbiotic relationship between body and soul, which is so essential that it makes sense that the resurrection is going to restore the body? And it's not just going to be spiritual bliss, but it's going to be spiritual bliss that, uh, that takes place in the context of a physical body. So here... Um, uh, Rav Weinberg uh, focuses our attention, uh, points our attention to the Gemara and Sanhedrin. Gemara and Sanhedrin happens to be Tzadi Aleph from the base, 91b, if anybody wants to go ahead and uh, look it up later. But the Gemara there draws a parallel, uh, 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 gives a mushal for the relationship between body and soul is equivalent to a blind man and a lame man, not a layman. That's what the autocorrect tried to go ahead and do for me, a layman. But it's not a layman, it's lame man, a person who is lame. What exactly is that, uh, is that relationship? So you have a, uh, a person who is lame and a blind person who are sitting there. And suddenly the lame fella goes in and takes note that nearby is an orchard, which is growing all sorts of beautiful uh, fruit. So he says, the blind guy says, oh, man. Look, at there, there's an orchard nearby with all sorts of beautiful, ripe, and delicious fruit. 
it would be uh, it would just hit the spot on this hot day to be able to enjoy some uh, some nice fruit. But what am I to do? Uh, because I can't uh, I can't walk there. Now the blind man, for his part, he says, "Listen, I have no issue with walking, but I couldn't uh, find my way to the orchard uh, because I can't see exactly where I'm going." So as much as I have the capacity to be able to walk there, to be able to get to the orchard, I'm going to be of no help because I can't see. And they decide that, they realize that they could form this, like we talked about, this symbiotic relationship. In the, uh, the blind fella says to the lame guy, jump on my back, you ride piggyback on me, you'll direct me where to go because you have sight and I will go ahead and I'll do the walking and together we'll be able to get ourselves to the orchard and we'll be able to, uh, to enjoy the delicious, luscious, uh, ripe fruit. And that's what they go ahead and they do. So the blind guy jumps on the back of the lame guy. Sorry, the lame guy jumps on the, black, on the back of the blind guy and goes ahead and directs him to right, turn left, go straight. And they get there and they, uh, they, they, uh, they pull a bunch of fruit off of the tree and they're sitting there enjoying their, uh, their fruit comes along the farmer and sees these two guys sitting in his orchard eating his, uh, his fruit and says, hey, what are you guys uh, doing here? Why would you go ahead and you steal my fruit? So the lame guy says, listen, you can't blame me for this. This is not my fault. I don't have any capacity to walk. I wasn't born on this orchard. So obviously I'm not the one who's responsible for this because I couldn't walk here even if I, even if I wanted to. And then he turns to the blind guy and the blind guy says, listen, I can't be responsible for what happened because I'm blind. I couldn't find an orchard if my life depended on it. There's no way that I can be held accountable for this, uh, for this crime. So the, uh, the, uh, the farmer was no dummy. And he realized that what happened was is that they, they combined their efforts. They combined their strengths together. And it was together that they were able to steal all of his, not all of his, they were able to steal his fruit. So the farmer says to the, uh, to the lame guy, listen, jump back on the, the, the back, go piggyback once again on the blind guy. And once the lame fellow was on the back of the blind guy, then he took out his uh, stick, his cane, and started to whack them both. Because it was only when the two of them are together that they're capable of stealing his, uh, his fruit. So he combined them back together into that unit, which was capable as a unit, it was capable of stealing his fruit. And then he went ahead and whacked them upside the, uh, whack, whack them upside the head. So in, this, in a similar type of, uh, of way, so uh, this is the nature uh, of the relationship between body and soul, between the body and the, uh, and, the, and the neshama. Because in the event that there was going to be some sort of punishment for the, uh, so if, if we divide the two parts of a person, their body and their soul, so Kashbarhu or the basin shamala comes to the body and says, hey, you went ahead and you committed all of these sins. How dare you go ahead and do so? You deserve to be punished. The body says, whoa, you can't blame me for this. This is not my responsibility. I am just a clump of cells, an inanimate clump of cells. I can't do anything on my own whatsoever. Uh, as soon as the, the, the soul is outside of me, that's what we call death. I just fall and collapse on myself. And I'm literally a bunch of, uh, of dead weight. So this is not something which I am responsible for. Go ahead and blame the soul. So then the basin Shomala goes to the soul and says, aha, you are the one who committed this, uh, all of these transgressions because you infuse life and you give energy to, uh, to the person to be able to run around and to be able to do all of those errors. And you, Neshama, are responsible. Shoma says, wait a minute, can't blame me for this. This is not, this, not my job. This is not my responsibility. I have no body. 
I got no physical pleasure out of these sins whatsoever. I got nothing out of it whatsoever. You cannot go ahead and blame me. So each one, each part, the body and the soul, have a reason and excuse why they can't be held accountable for those uh, transgressions which were committed. And therefore, the only way we're going to be able to make the necessary repair, the only way we're, we're going to be able to set things straight is the fusion of the body and the soul back together. Because just like in the, in the muscle of the person who is lame and the blind person, so the body actually is an inanimate object, if not for the fact that the soul is there animating the body and giving it life and giving it energy and allowing it to move. And the soul, as much as it has the capacity to move, and it represents a life force, but it doesn't have any, have any body to it to be able to commit any of those, uh, those sins. And therefore, it's uh, specifically body and soul together. They have to remain together because they have this symbiotic relationship, which requires that they get rewarded and punished in conjunction with one another, because neither one is going to be able to exist without the, without the other. But that highlights for us how essential the body is to our existence, that the body isn't simply something which is going to contain the soul, a necessary evil, which is going to contain the soul. Like for some reason, genies always end up in, the, you know, in a bottle or something. So the, it's not as if the, uh, the, the, uh, the soul, it's not as if the soul uh, wanted to, uh, to be there. That's something which is there by design because they work together, they work in conjunction with one another, and each one is going to be complementary uh, uh, to the other, and it's the combination of their skill sets which makes the person who the person is. And if you remember, uh, there's the, uh, the Medrash, there's Chazal, who talk about what happened when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemaim to, uh, to get the Torah. This is at the event at Har Sinai. So uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, whatever preparation he goes through, but he gets up in heaven, all ready to receive the Torah from God, and suddenly come banging down the door where the lecture is taking place are the angels. And the angels say, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you think is going on over here? Why would you possibly give the Torah such a spiritual thing? It's the blueprint of all of the universe and every, everything which is related to the Torah, the very essence of God, which is contained in the Torah. Why would you give that to mankind? There's no way they're going to be able to use it well. This is not something which belongs down on earth in the physical domain. The Torah is a spiritual guide, and it should remain up here in the spiritual worlds together with us, the Malachim. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, no, no. Uh, if you want the Torah, you better have a good answer. You better provide them with an answer as to why you deserve the Torah rather than, uh, than them. And if you remember, Moshe Rabbeinu says, listen, I'm a little bit scared. I've read stories in the Gemara where you offend a rabbi and you get a rabbi stare and he zaps you out of existence. Certainly Malachim should be able to do the same thing. I don't want to go ahead and, uh, and get zapped out of existence if I say something offensive to the angels. Akash Baruch Hu says, no, no worries. Uh, have you ever played tag as a kid? I said, of course, who didn't play tag? Said, well, there's electricities. If you hold on to the safety zone is my throne, keep your hand on my throne, and then you'll be protected. The angels won't be able to harm you. Okay, so Moshe Rabbeinu grabs onto God's throne, and then Moshe Rabbeinu goes, starts listing different parts of the Torah, which clearly are relevant only for people of flesh and blood. Like he says to angels, were you in Mitzrayim? Were you enslaved in Mitzrayim and tortured and killed and your children uh, taken away from you? And the angels obviously said, no, do you guys have, you know, all the different uh, mitzvahs and all the different averas which, uh, which involve the physical body? So Moshe Rabbeinu points all of it out to the angels and says, clearly the Torah has no shaykhahs to you angels, which are purely spiritual beings. Uh, the Torah is given specifically to human beings. 
people are going to have a physical body. And ultimately, as we know, Moshe Rabbeinu won that debate with the angels and was able to bring the, uh, the Torah down. And that also highlights this idea of the fact that in order for the, uh, the Torah to be relevant, it's not something which is relevant for a spiritual being, but the Torah's relevance specifically was designed to be given, and it was tailor-made specifically for those who are going to be human, those who are going to have a physical body with all the challenges that go together with that, but that was part of the process. Part of the process is that fusion of the physical and the spiritual, the elyonim and the tachtonim, all of those uh, um, almost contradictory things to be able to work together. Like we talked about, uh, or I wrote about, I don't remember at this point, uh, we talk about Osei Shalom Bimromov, that Kosh Baruch Hu is the one who's the Osei Shalom, so Shalom isn't merely the absence of war, the absence of conflict, Shalom is when diverse and disparate parts are going to be able to combine their, uh, their resources together, their, uh, their, their, uh, their milas, their, their, uh, their characteristics together, in order to create something which is bigger than any one of the other uh, parts themselves. So therefore, that's why the body is an essential part of the, of the process over here. And that's why resurrection of the body specifically has to take place. And Rev Weinberg explains that that's why the Rambam emphasizes the resurrection element of it, rather than the Olam Haba element of it. Because if you just mention, emphasize Olam Haba, so we may uh, be led to believe that the body is just a necessary evil. It's just something which is part of our existence, but it's not something which is part of our ideal existence. And by emphasizing the fact that this principle revolves around resurrection and the body is going to be restored, that tells us that the body is an essential part of the uh, the process and that the Torah was given specifically for physical beings to be able to to have and not for uh, for spiritual beings. I will just uh, conclude this, this part. Uh, um, Susan, this is what, uh, what you mentioned. But this idea about the importance of the physical body and why uh, the physical body is not only uh, a, a means to an end, but it has a symbiotic relationship with the neshama. And the two of them need to go together. Uh, need to go together. So it's for this reason, as uh, Susan mentioned, that cremation and donating one's body for medical research, for example, are something that halach is going to oppose. Because we don't want to do something, part of what we, uh, we want to make sure to do, even in death, is to acknowledge the fact that we don't see death and burial as the final stage of the body. We see that as part of a process. It's part of a process. It's uh, many of the, uh, the commentators, many of the more Kabbalistic commentators equate it with the planting of a seed. So you take a seed, you put it into the dirt, and then the seed initially decomposes. And then at a certain point, when it's just about at the point where there's almost nothing uh, really important to it left, it's uh, much of it is decomposed, it's from that point that life begins to, or the, 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 the stem begins to sprout out of, that, uh, out of that seed. So we see death in burial as having a similar type of, type of thing. And therefore, it's, a, it's an important principle, halachically, but spiritually and in, in, uh, philosophically, for the body to remain as intact as it possibly can in order to uh, have the necessary ingredients or the necessary components to allow for the ideal, uh, a, a, ideal triasamesim. 
Now, it doesn't mean that people who are killed in horrific accents and whatnot, and there, there are many tshuvas that were written post-Holocaust, for example, about whether people who died in the gas chambers and their bodies were, were cremated by the Nazis, whether those people will be able to experience resurrection. And the answer is yes, because it was, it was of, of no fault of, the, of their own or anything. But in terms of when we have a choice, so our choice is that the person should be buried with the body whole and intact, and that's why, if you remember, and then with this we'll, uh, we'll conclude, that you have that organization in Israel called Zaka. Zaka, the, the uh, origin of that organization was in cases of terrorist attacks and terrorist killings, that they go in and they uh, scour the area to be able to recover as much body as they possibly can. And it's a gruesome, horrific uh, you know, task which they have, but they do so with this belief revolving specifically around the principle which we are which we are discussing that it's going to uh, because they are of the belief that making sure that as much of the body is going to be buried with the deceased as possible is a great chesed to be able to do with the uh, with the deceased and therefore they lovingly and dedicatingly go ahead and uh, take upon themselves that uh, gruesome task of, uh, of doing so and that's what i have but hopefully uh mel will leave us on a good a, a positive note rather than on a sort of gruesome uh, note but yeah Maybe not so positive, I don't know. Um, oh. If I have the opportunity to donate a kidney to save a life, I shouldn't do it? Yeah, so in, in those cases, the, the uh, saving a life is going, to, is going to override that. That's why I, mentioned, I, that's why I didn't mention um, organ donation. I mentioned giving your body to science for research. I, I, I thank you for bringing me into where I did not want to go, but I purposely avoided the uh, the issue of organ donation and the cadaver uh, and cadaver uh, uh, harvesting and stuff like that. Organs, uh, harvesting organs from a cadaver. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. Good luck. So we'll see you Thursday, Mir Hashem. And uh, okay, very good. Thank you. All the best. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow night. Thursday, Thursday meeting Thursday. tomorrow night. Yeah. Okay. Thursday night, we're in session. Yeah.